0: Paul. And again, good morning, everybody. Um, Thank you so much for being here today. I do need to make one quick announcement. We are going to have a business meeting two weeks from this morning. We are going to add a paragraph to our constitution. At least that's what we'll be meeting about. We're going to be adding a paragraph uh, in regard to same-sex marriage. So it's necessary for us now to add that paragraph to our constitution to be clear about where we stand as a church that we are not going to marry those of the same sex so uh, we'll be voting to add that to our constitution in two weeks so we would ask you to be here if you can for that um, that business meeting it will be after the second service so maybe you have uh, or maybe you have not ever been compelled to do something like this this is called a wingsuit and I got to say when I first saw one of these guys take off in one of these suits it It kind of looks like fun. They jump out of an airplane and they sort of fly with these wingsuits. And they will come within like a few feet of a rock face and zoom right past it going, you know, a couple hundred miles an hour. Now, it looked fun to do until I saw the statistics on the lifespan of a wingsuit jumper. Because about 6 to 7 percent, this happens about 3,000, about 3,000 people do this annually. About 6 to 7 percent of those people die doing this. As a matter of fact, if you saw the opening of the London Olympics a few years ago, there was a guy that jumped out of an airplane with, a, with the big British flag uh, over his head. He was supposed to be like James Bond. He was just killed recently doing one of these wingsuit jumps. But when you ask these guys, why do you do this? They'll tell you because it is one of the most thrilling things that that they've ever done. But yet, for such a short thrill, they are willing to risk their very lives. What are we willing to risk for the kingdom of Jesus Christ? What are we willing to risk in service for our Lord and our King you know oftentimes I will take a look around around the folks that 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 live near me uh, people that that do not profess faith in Christ Uh, some do many don't and I've got to ask myself the question how does my life really look any different from theirs Am I making different decisions? Am I doing things differently? Am I going about life in a different way than people do who do not know Christ? There's a guy by the name of John Bailey. He was a Scottish theologian. He was a pastor. He was a professor at Edinburgh University. And he was meditating on the kind of message that Christ used with those who were around him. Oftentimes, it was with his disciples. Uh, When he was with his disciples in In a boat, for example, and and a a storm kicked up, the question he asked his disciples was, where is your faith? He asked them, where is your faith? So when Bailey was meditating on this, he, he wrote something to this effect. Now, all of his disciples, none of them would be professing to be atheists. All of them professed to know God. But Bailey said this. He said, according to the teaching of our Lord, What is wrong with the world is precisely that it does not believe in God, yet it is clear that the unbelief which he so bitterly deplored was not an intellectual persuasion of God's non-existence. That is to say, people acknowledged with their brains that God existed. Those whom he rebuked for their lack of faith were not men who denied God with the top of their minds, but men who while apparently incapable of doubting him with the top of their minds, their intellect, lived as though he did not exist. How are we doing things differently at First Baptist Church? Is it differently than the way the world is doing things? I'm glad to hear that. And the question I want to grapple with today is am I living by faith? As a matter of fact, the text we'll look at today, there's a very clear verse that says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. The chapter we're going to look at today comes from Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, it's, a, it's a long chapter. As a matter of fact, I'm going to ask you, or it just wasn't going to have you stand for this because I'm going to do a lengthy reading of this chapter. By the way, the reason we stand for the reading of God's word uh, is to show respect. In a similar way that you would stand for the National Anthem or or you would stand for the Pledge of Allegiance, that is why we stand for the reading of God's Word. But because this is a pretty lengthy reading, I'd invite you to just stay in your seats and just listen to the, uh, the Scriptures that I'm about to read. I'll be reading some large excerpts from this chapter. So starting with Hebrews chapter 11. This is known as the Faith Hall of Fame chapter of the Bible. Now, faith is the assurance They desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Then going down to verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. That is the Hall of Fame of the heroes of the faith in the Bible. And we're going to continue through the book of Hebrews today, which has this theme that I repeat again and again, again, three words, please say them with me. Don't stop believing. Don't stop believing. Again, we're diving deeply into this subject of faith we've done the past two Sundays. We're diving in deeply again this Sunday. And I want to look at it like this. Um, It was bigger (laughs) when I put it up there. Uh, Faith exemplified. And then we'll talk about faith examined. We'll talk about the faith exemplified. We'll talk about the faith uh, as it is described here in the passage Then we'll talk about faith examined, six observations about the faith we read about in this passage. And then finally, what does this look like in our own lives? We'll ask ourselves three questions. How does my life look different? Am I afraid of taking risks? And finally, do I believe in the unseen? So that's how we'll go about this this morning. And I want to start out talking about this faith exemplified. And look at these first three verses because we see that, that people had a boldness of faith. They had a bold confidence in unseen realities. In those first three verses, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So, two very important words pop up in that very first verse. Assurance and conviction. Sometimes it'll say substance and certainty. That first word assurance, it's from a Greek word hypostasis. It means substance or firmness or confidence. As a matter of fact, they would use the same word to describe papers that you would hold. that meant you own the property that you have. It kind of refers to this, this humble sort of a swagger. You know, if you met somebody with a humble swagger, I aspire to be one of these guys, one of these humble, but they're just confident. This speaks of a confidence, not based in us or our skills or our abilities, but an assurance of who God is. And there's a second word here too. Uh, It's this word conviction. Um, and, and, And this is the way it's used here. Conviction is not a static emotion of complacency. But something lively and active, not just a state of immovable dogmatism, but of a vital certainty, which impels the believer to stretch out his hand, as it were, and lay hold of those realities on which his hope is fixed, and which, though unseen, already his in Christ. Did you catch that? A conviction or a certainty that something is already yours in Christ. I watched a documentary one time about Mike Tyson. If you uh, grew up watching Mike Tyson box, in his earlier years, when he was about 18, 19 years old, he just seemed like this unstoppable force. And I was watching this documentary about his life, and he said something I'll never forget. He said, you know, I won every match in the locker room he would take his, he put on his boxing gloves and he would punch the wall until he felt the leather, he'd punch through all the padding until he felt the leather, leather across his knuckles. And he would march into that ring and he said he would make eye contact and he said as soon as the other guy looked away, he knew that he had already won the fight. Now that was the confidence, if not hubris, that Mike Tyson had in his own ability that he said in the locker room, he knew he could not be beaten. Well, he ended up getting beaten. But the Christian can have the same kind of confidence, except in before getting into the ring, But you could say before getting into the ring of life, before you even get out of bed in the morning, you can have a confidence that God goes before us and he's already claimed the victory over whatever you may be facing whatever circumstance you may find yourself in that he has sovereignly placed you in, he has already been victorious over it. And I don't know what kind of enemies you're facing right now. I don't know who's in that proverbial ring with you, so to speak. But God is infinitely more powerful. Situations don't always work out the way you want them to. But again, it's about trusting the one who created the situation to begin with. So we see this, this confidence there in verses 1 through 3. We also see these faithful people abounding in Scripture. There, there, there's two sections of this that talk about um, these faithful folks that come up in this passage. And there are two facts about the people that we see. One, it talks about their spiritual, you could call it their spiritual condition or attitude. But it also in this passage talks about some great act uh, that was performed. So there was their spiritual nature, and then there was some act that happened. For example, uh, Abel, it says he was righteous, and he offered a pleasing offering. And then interestingly, it says in verse 4, it says, And by faith he still speaks, even though he's dead. What does that mean? It means we still can benefit from the actions of Abel, even though he was murdered. We're still benefiting from seeing the faithfulness of God and accepting abel's sacrifice so much so that he's mentioned here in hebrews chapter 11 there was enoch it's an unusual passage enoch it says please god and then he just walked up with god he just walked with god he never died noah noah built an ark and in doing so he condemned the world of their sin he pointed out the world's sin and in his obedience having never seen rain built an ark. Then there was Abraham. He went to a land he didn't know. Moses, the Israelites who proceeded across the Red Sea. You see this faith is being acted out, and you see the spiritual nature of the people. All of them commended for their faith. Then we also see these faithful people proceeding without receiving the promises. It says there, starting in verse 13, and again in verse 39, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. None of them saw the Messiah come in glory. They all died having not seen that heavenly city for which they were willing to give their lives come down on earth. They gave all they had, and they still acted accordingly, even though the realities that they were acting for were unseen. So that is the faith exemplified in chapter 11. But we also see six observations. We can examine the faith of these people, we can make six observations. Uh, And first of all, we see that faith takes action. Uh, Faith takes action. Um, We see Abel, he offered a sacrifice. Again, Noah built an ark. Abraham moved to a territory that he didn't know. The Israelites walked through the Red Sea. As a matter of fact, in verses 33 and 34, we see this string of action words. All these, these people who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire escaped the edge of the sword, made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. We see an action going on with this faith. And then secondly, we also see that faith responds to God's unseen promises. These were actions taken in response to an unseen God with faith in unseen promises alongside unseen realities. It reminds me of a story I heard about a mother who called her child in to wash his hands said we're about to eat dinner so the, the young boy came in washed his hands evidently he was used to the routine he started washing his hands he just said germs in Jesus germs in Jesus I'm always here about germs in Jesus I've never seen either one of them but I'm always dealing with germs in Jesus these are realities that we have to cope with we often and I would say we actually usually don't know why things happen the way they do We respond to an unseen God who's given us unseen promises. And then finally, faith, or third, faith involves God's working the extraordinary in the ordinary. Um, These heroes that we're talking about, when you examine their lives, by the way, I love the fact that the Bible gives us warts and all when it comes to the lives of these heroes of the faith. Because when you look at the life of Noah, I mean, what did he do when he got off the ark? Well, he, he got, it's a weird passage. He, he got drunk and then he got naked in his tent. It's odd. Um, Abraham was this cowardly liar. He was unwilling to face the pressure put on him by the, the Pharaoh in Egypt at the time. Moses was a murderer. David, they gave a shout out to. He was an adulterer and a murderer. The Israelites, right after they crossed the Red Sea, they started grumbling and whining and complaining. And yet God works the extraordinary in these folks i'm reading a story right now pilgrim's progress Uh, somebody loaned me a children's version of pilgrim's progress i've been reading it to to landry we're probably probably on the 10th time through this book he absolutely loves it but if you read the story of christian and pilgrim's progress he's screwing up all the time this is the progress of the pilgrim see god can work extraordinary things through screw-ups like you and me praise god that he works through us screw-ups and he tells us about the people who did screw up you know we qualify to do great things for god because we have placed our trust in god not because we are great people god works the extraordinary in ordinary people also, faith works in a variety of situations. It's interestingly in this passage you see, even though it's the hearers of the faith, you see not a single healing in this passage. Every situation is unique. And it should be because the human experience is unique to all of us. We have an offering uh, in this passage. We have a, a transportation to heaven, the building of a boat, the moving of a family, the ability to have a child after many years of childlessness, seeing into the future, Uh, defying authority the choosing of mistreatment over pleasure we see people suffering persecution and so on faith involved the conquering the conquering of foreign armies but we see it working out in a variety of different situations and everybody's experience of this christian life the outworking of all of our faith is going to be different then fifth we see that faith brings varied outcomes uh, many outcomes in this, this passage are enviable. Who wouldn't want to conquer foreign armies? Who wouldn't want to rise up a hero in a war? Who wouldn't want to avoid death and just get to walk with God right off this planet? I think that's a pretty good deal myself. But then many outcomes are not enviable in this passage. And we see it there starting in verse 36. It says, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment they were stoned they were sawn into they were killed with the sword they went about in skins of sheep and goats destitute afflicted mistreated these were the ones living by faith you may be going through a hellish experience in your life right now don't let the devil tell you it's because you don't have faith we're not promised health and wealth and prosperity. That is an old, old heresy. That's an old, old lie. And then finally, faith is rewarded by God. Number six should be faith is rewarded by God. and It's not there. So number six, faith is rewarded by God. Again, in that story of Pilgrim's Progress, we see pilgrim's journey to the celestial city through all the problems through all the pain he finally gets his rewards eternal rewards in heaven and then again in verse 6 and without faith it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to god must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him so don't stop seeking him keep praying even when you're not feeling the results And now I want to talk about what does this look like in our lives? What does this look like? I want to pose three questions to you. First of all, how does my life look different? How does my life look different? Does my life look any different than unbelievers who are around me? Do you believe that God has wiped out your past? That everything has been completely forgiven? Do you believe that God has taken away the shame? Uh, Do you believe that eternity is hanging the balance for everyone that you come across? How is that making your life look different in how you treat people? Do you believe that God truly works the extraordinary through the ordinary? God keeps his church going through us. You know, I, just me standing up here is a test. I've said it before, It's a testament to God's work. You know, if you... If you were to see me, if you'd met me when I was 13, 14, 15 years old, a very awkward, as though I'm not now, teenager, this gangly guy, I mean, really scared of people. It's amazing what God can do and how he is willing to use each and every one of us in ways that we would have never dreamed of. If we're willing, and then this is number two, if you're willing to take some risks, are you afraid of taking risks? I'm not talking about dumb risks. And flying in a wingsuit arguably is not, perhaps this, it could keep you from getting insurance, just saying it. But are you willing to take risks? Um, what would a faith risk look like in your life? Is there something that, frankly, you really, really want to do, but the only thing keeping you from doing it is Fear. You know, we need more singers, we need more musicians, we need more teachers. There's places to serve around here. But then even in your your vocations, in your jobs, is there something there that you really want to do that you're just stopping short of? And then in your life, in your neighborhood, are there people you know you need to reach out to, people you need to call, someone who's hurting right now? Maybe there's a little fear going on. Maybe you're not a people person and you really don't like reaching out. Are you willing to take some risks? There may be some some missionaries out here. There may be some some full time uh, Christian workers we have here that, and you've been kicking that idea around a long time. What would that risk look like? And then, third, do I believe in the unseen? Do I believe in the unseen? I came across a story about a, a couple um, named Gary and Brenda. Uh, the last name was Green. And uh, they, they were a pretty affluent couple, and they, they showed up in their, in their neighborhood, and uh, they sat down in the lawn and watched their house burn down. Uh, it caught fire while they were out of the house. And as they were watching it burn down, uh, the pastor of their church showed up, and he was talking to them. And this is what Brenda said to him. The pastor's name was George. He said, George, pray for our neighbors. This is going to give us a great opportunity to witness to them. I don't know that would be the first thing that came out of my mouth if I saw my house burning down. As a matter of fact, the pastor summed up their experience like this. Faith is seeing beyond the smoke-clouded, hard-nosed realities of this world to a greater and lasting reality. There is an unseen world that we believe in. As a matter of fact, there's a kingdom that is coming that Christ said is here already, but it's not fully here yet. That is the place of which we are citizens. It's not this mess we're living in right now. It gets a little worse. It gets a little better. There's another kingdom. There's an unseen reality that is more true than what we are looking at in the fallen and sinful world that we've got in front of our eyes right now. So putting this together, live by faith by believing in what you don't see. Live by faith by believing in what you don't see. A couple things have happened over the past few months. Um, First of all, as as you heard Paul pray about just a few minutes ago, we've got a new pastor who's coming into town this evening, as a matter of fact. Now, we've been on a pastor search for a long time, and then all of a sudden this COVID thing happened. And I'm like, okay, so what's going to happen now? Are we going to be able to afford to hire another pastor? I mean, that was just a reality. And back in March, April, you know, we were, we were starting to firm up things with RP, and we were like, okay, what's this decision time? And we looked at the numbers, and collectively, every elder was on board with this. Even not knowing the future, there was no reason right now why we should not proceed in hiring R.P. Rogers. And do you know that in the month of May, we had the best giving that, and that we've had certainly since I've been here, and I think maybe even in the history of the church, we received over $91,000 in the month of May. It was by the grace of God. Sometimes we just proceed not knowing all the details, that we take that risk. And you know what? If everything would come off the rails, if this church was completely laid flat by an earthquake tomorrow, you know what? God be praised. It doesn't always work out the way you want it to, and you still praise God. Something else happened this past week. I got permission um, from our own Becky Ajayi to share this. She's taking a step into a new kind of ministry Uh, She's going to continue counseling. Uh, We're going to continue referring people to her, but she's taking an, an online approach to what she's doing. And she gave me permission to share this. This is what she put on Facebook. This was a huge step of faith for her. She said, I'm the first to admit I struggle with change, and although I know there are bigger, greater things in store for me, I'm not going to lie, this is slightly terrifying. She said, I will be seeing my current new clients exclusively online, although there are a few existing clients who I want closure in person with, so we will borrow her old office space when she can do that. But she said, I, I believe that this is the springboard to something big. She said, I know that in my head and working hard for my little heart to believe and get on board with that too. This is what taking a faith risk looks like. It doesn't mean it's not scary. It doesn't mean it can't be terrifying at times. Life can be that way, but that should never stop us from following hard after God, what God wants for us. Please pray with me. Almighty God, uh, it can be challenging down here. Lord Jesus, you know full, good, and well how hard the progress of us pilgrims can be at times. And I pray that we would trust you more and more each day. I pray that you would be growing our faith. I pray that we would never be satisfied in staying static, but always moving forward always for your glory, always for your glory and in full confidence because of who you are and not us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Thank you all. And have a great Sunday.